Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on a snowy morning in Milton, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is one of the most accomplished coaches in the history of Ivy League baseball, Yale's legendary skipper, John Stuper. John recently announced that the 2022 season, his 30th at Yale, will be his last as the Bulldogs coach. Stuper had the program humming before the cancellation of the last two Ivy League seasons due to the pandemic. From 2016 to 2019, his teams posted a record of 53-27 and 27 in the Ivy League. Over his career, he has led the Bulldogs to four Ivy League championships and a pair of NCAA regional appearances. I'm looking forward to hearing how John's players actually talked him into staying for one additional season, why he thinks this is the right time to walk away, and what it's been like coaching some of the smartest baseball players in the nation. Also, some trivia for you. John played professionally for the St. Louis Cardinals in the early 80s. In 1982, he outdueled Don Sutton in Game 6 of the World Series by pitching a complete game shutout through two lengthy rain delays. The Cardinals went on to win that World Series, their first since 1967. So we'll talk about that, too. Before we get to John, I will quickly go through the ways that you can enjoy more content from New England Baseball Journal. Number one, check out all of our latest stories at BaseballJournal.com. Number two, get the winter edition of New England Baseball Journal mailed to your home later this month by clicking on the subscribe tab at BaseballJournal.com. And number three, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or any of your preferred platforms. Thanks for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. Here's Yale coach John Stuper, who is connecting with us by Zoom. Hey, coach, thanks so much for joining the pod. That's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations on your decision to uh, retire after this season. We know in Division I athletics, you don't always go out on your own terms, so congratulations <laughs> on that. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And, and that is true. And, uh, but uh, I just think it's time. It's time for someone, uh, someone else to head the program, and I'm totally at peace with it. Uh, really looking forward to this final year. I have a great group, not only of good players, but great kids. So uh, it's not a, then it's not a group I'd rather go out with than these guys. Yeah, that's great. And the, and the program has been trending in the right direction. Obviously, the last two years have been uh, canceled because of the pandemic. But before that, yeah, you guys had been doing really well in the Ivy League. When you say it's time, um, was there something, you know, was there anything in particular that you saw that made you think, you know, it's time for a new voice? No, no. It's just 30 seemed like a, a, a nice round number. And uh, I don't know. I'm going to be 65 uh, on May 9th. And uh, yes, I'm going to be that cliche. I'm retiring and moving to Florida. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's just time. Um, and no, no single thing. No, it's, I just felt it was the right time. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I know you had originally planned uh, to step away after the 2021 season. Uh, what made you decide to stick around for 2022? Well, um, I got a call from one of my players, uh, one of my pitchers, uh, and we were talking about uh, his mechanics and his throwing program and whatever. Um, and we did that for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then out of the blue, he just kind of said, um, Coach, we've kind of been talking and uh, um, we're wondering if you'd consider coming back for another year. And I was very, very touched by that. Um, as I said, this is a great group. Couldn't say no to them. Uh, my contract was up, so uh, RAD Vicky Chun had to okay it. 
Um, she didn't have to do that, uh, but she graciously did. And I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. And so uh, here I am uh, sitting in my baseball office still um, getting ready for the 2022 season. Yeah, you're right. You, you don't always know, you know, those 18 to 22 year olds don't always dish out the, the praise or the compliments as, as freely as some of us do as we get older. Uh, but over the last couple of weeks, I guess I guess you probably made the announcement about a week ago or Yale made the announcement that this would be your last season. And just the reaction on Twitter and social media, it was just from what I saw, it was 100 percent positive of guys just saying what an impact that you had made on them and their careers and the relationships that you formed that uh, extend beyond the college experience. What has it been like? Does it almost feel like you're uh, at your own funeral or reading your eulogy or something like that? What has that been like? Um, it's, I'm just so grateful. Um, you know, I tell these, I've told these kids that there's a, there's a group text of about 15 alums um, that I'm really close with. And they included me on the group text. Um, I don't know why, uh, but they did. Um, and I told them that they have absolutely no idea how much they mean to me. Um, Many of them have said what a great experience I made for uh, this for them. And I just turn that around and I tell them, you made it a great experience for me. Because, I mean, you look at the kids that I've been able uh, to come in contact with, the coach. I have, I have a governor, the governor of Florida, who might someday be president. Um, I got uh, Craig Breslow, who pitched for 12 years in the big leagues. Ryan LaVarnaway, who played, still playing. Um, Craig Breslow is going to be a GM someday. He's the assistant GM of the Cubs. Mike Elias, who's the uh, GM of the Cubs, uh, of the Orioles. Um, you know, I got doctors and lawyers uh, all over the place. Just uh, when I when I reflect back, it's it, it's not about games. It's not about any championships or anything like that. It's about people. And um, I have the greatest alumni group that any coach could hope for. Um, they never say no to me. If I ask them to talk to one of my players in a certain field, whether it be medicine, law, entertainment, n- name it, um, they never say no. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So I'm the lucky one here, um, if you ask me. And, that, and that's not being uh, falsely modest. That's, that's just the way I feel. Um, this is arguably the greatest university in the world. And I mean, I've become friends with Nobel Prize winners and um, you know, guys that are doing amazing things out in the world. And it's just been, it's been a 30 year privilege for me. It, it truly has. Yeah. And you can hear, you know, how important those connections and the relationships and you, like you said, it's about the people. Um, so, and that's something that you've probably been able to draw on even in the last two years when there hasn't been any baseball, uh, in the Ivy league, but what has it been like uh, to coach over the last two years? I would think, you know, as a baseball guy, have, have you found it difficult to find joy over the last two years in being a coach? I have. It, it, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, I have. Um, you know, the thing, thing with our league is, um, you know, in, 20, in, 20, in 2020, uh, when everybody shut down, obviously everybody got that and whatever. In 2021, when – Basically, we're the only D1 league to shut down. I, I was upset. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I was upset. Uh, I thought I might have had the best team I've ever would have had um, had we played in 2021. But at no time did I ever think – I always thought that the presidents of our league were very well-intentioned. They were, 
do I think they were overcautious? Yeah, but I'm a coach and uh, I, I wanted to play. But they they have the best interests of our student athletes at heart. And so even though I disagreed with their decision, I understood it and realized that they did what they thought was best for our kids. And you can't ask for more than that. Was it tough? Yeah, it, it was tough. Um, so what I did was I sent off my kids and I said, listen, we're not playing. So you're going to have time to get bigger, stronger, more explosive, increase your velocity, um, you know, do all those things without having to worry about a game that day or anything. And so my guys took that to the nth degree um, and came back bigger, stronger, faster, throwing harder. Rohan Handa, um, who I'm sure you know that name, you know, he's one of the guys I said, you know, you know, work on your velocity. And he topped out at 86 here as a freshman. And now all of a sudden, you know, this summary was not at touching 98. And I'm like, Rohan, I didn't mean to throw that hard. <laughs> um, but so he goes in the fifth round uh, with my blessing. He's one of the best kids ever. Uh, I have never seen that velocity jump in 12 months, 12 or in 18 months, 12 miles an hour in 18 months. He worked his tail off and he was very single-minded. He wanted to play pro ball, um, and he's going to get his chance. And I think he's going to be a big leaguer. I really do. Um, his stuff is off the charts. You know, he's 93 to 96 with a slider that's 83 to 88. Um, I mean, he's got big league stuff already. He's not a big league pitcher yet, but he's got big league stuff. So it was difficult, but um, I had some amazing assistance here. Um, we had eight players that stayed back during last spring okay everybody else went off to texas to florida went home california whatever but we had eight kids and uh i have to really give kudos to my two assistants andrew dixon and josh shulman um because they worked with those eight guys five times a week like we were going to be playing harvard in a double header every weekend um there were no pitchers um that stayed back <laughs> that doesn't say much for me i guess but um, so all I did was walk around and bust their chops while these guys were working their tails off. Josh has since moved to Wofford, but Andrew's still here. Uh, and it really showed me something, their dedication to these kids working hard and they made them better. Um, I mean, if, if you're one of eight guys and you're getting all kind of attention every day, you're going to get better. And they did. And I was so impressed with those two guys and the way they worked. Right. Yeah. And it was a crazy time across uh, college baseball, you know, at the D1 level, D2, D3. You saw so many guys end up in the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, so much player movement because everybody's got a fifth year now. And um, it just really changed the complexion of so many teams. With a team in the Ivy League, it's different. While you did lose two years and you might think that might drum up more movement, um, there's the, you know, those players are obviously prioritizing their education. Uh, did you lose guys, uh, to the transfer porter or guys who transferred to other schools? Lost no one, um, which I'm very grateful. I had a number of guys go into the portal. Um, my shortstop Mason LaPlante went into the portal. He is going to Georgia next year if he's not drafted. Um, and then Grant Kipp and Ben Gibbs, uh, also are in the portal, still trying to figure it out. They're getting interest. Um, you know, as Ivy coaches this summer, we would sit around and laugh because um, when you think about it, there's only one class sitting in my locker room that's played an Ivy League game. There's only one class, and that's the seniors. The other three 
haven't played an Ivy League game because one of them got shut down after 10 games and the other two didn't get to. So I look around and I'm not sure who's a freshman, who's a sophomore. Uh, I sometimes get confused about that. And I'll look at a guy and say, yeah, you have like six years of eligibility left, right? <laughs> um, and I also have, for the first time and last time in my career, I have a Yale graduate student on my team. Um, Teddy Haig, who's a very, very good player. Um, he applied, he was played for us for, I'll say four years, even though it was really one and a half. Uh, he got into a Yale graduate school. And so he'll be my first and only fifth year graduate student. I'm really glad he got in. It's not easy to get into a Yale grad school. So I'm really glad he got in, um, because he's a big part of our team. Um, so just a lot of, you know, we were looking at talking, you know, the eight, the eight, the eight of us saying, you know, there's only one class that's played an Ivy league game, only one class. Um, and that's just, that's just kind of strange. And we said that the first time we sat in front of our teams, we we're going to, you know, were we going to know everybody and, you know, what were we going to say? And, um, but, you know, I, I tend to look forward rather than backwards. And I, I, I this is a, an exciting year for me in many ways. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that, um, you know, we're going to get to play again. And my team has decided to dedicate this season um, and this wasn't, this wasn't me saying this, this was them. Um, they're dedicating it to the uh, class of 2020 and 2021 because they didn't get to play. So, um, which I thought just says a lot about my guys. And uh, so that, that's, that's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and uh, honor them because they didn't get to play and hopefully have a great season. Right. Yeah. That's a great, that, that's a great move there to, uh, kind of pay tribute to those guys that came before him and didn't get to finish out the way they wanted to. Uh, you had mentioned it's difficult to get into a Yale grad school. Um, obviously, it's under it's difficult to get into any Yale school, undergraduate or graduate school. And I would think that must have been frustrating at times for you during the recruiting process when you're going and looking at guys and then, you know, you hear they have a three, five or something. You're probably crossing them off the list and saying, we can't get them in here. Uh, what, what has that been like for you in your 30 years to recruit at Yale? I've had a lot of help. Uh, a lot of help. When I first got here, I had two baseball guys um, and I kept them. Um, their names were Dick James and Dan Scarpa. They're well known around the new England area. And they basically taught me um, after my, I mean, I came from pro ball. I came from coaching two years in the minor leagues I didn't know what a division one player looked like versus a D three player versus what, I mean, I had no idea and they taught me and I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and then I kind of passed that knowledge on to like Tucker Frawley, again, a, a well-known guy. And um, so it, it, you just, is it in some ways it's easier because your recruiting pool is smaller in some ways it's easier. So, you know, you eliminate guys, um, but it's not as, you know, you don't have as big a, uh, a number of kids to look at, but um, the the fringe benefit of that is the great kids that you get. Uh, you get amazing kids who, um, obviously, academics is very important to them. Um, but the mantra that we use here is that we don't look for smart guys that play baseball. We look for baseball players who just happen to be smart. And there's a big difference between those two. And you know, we've been able to do that for the most part. Um, we also vet them as far as their character. Um, when they visit, I look at how they react with their parents, how they react with their mother, their father. Um, if there's siblings there, 
Um, we're looking for good citizens as well as good players. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that too. Right. Yeah. I've, I've met a few Yale uh, graduates before and it always seems like, you know, in the first few seconds you realize right away, like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. This person went to Yale. They're just brilliant or just so self-motivated or something jumps out that makes it, it all makes sense. Um, when you got to Yale, uh, what was, you know, so everybody wants a, a certain culture and, you know, a style of play. What did you want to make the program and how did you want your teams to play? Well, I, I'm a Cardinal um, and, and I played under Whitey Herzog um, and we stole a lot of bases. Uh, I was lucky enough to be part of an 82 championship team. We hit 67 home runs as a team that year, um, but we stole 200 bases and were world champions. So I wanted to bring that uh, here. And to be quite honest, the, the team that I inherited had won the year before and had virtually everybody back. So I, re I was lucky. I, I inherited a team that was really good, had a really good culture already. Sometimes, and I think coaches forget this sometimes, um, sometimes good coaching is just getting out of the way uh, and letting them play. And I did a lot of that um, that first year, especially, but one of the things I did do was I turned them loose. Um, and like of the nine starters, seven were on their own, could steal anytime they wanted. I had a stop sign when I didn't want them to go, but we stole 160 bases in 44 games, which was second in the nation. It's by far the record here at Yale in 1993. Baseball was different. And you know, there wasn't as many slide steps. There weren't as many guys with stopwatches saying, yeah, this guy's a one, three, this guy's a one, four. So we stole third all the time. I mean, we just stole everybody blind and, and it really, it, it can speed and stealing bases can be a talent equalizer. And um, if you don't have as much talent as somebody else, but you can drive them insane by running or even the threat of running, it can really help you. So I think that's what I brought uh, here was basically the Cardinal way if I may say that, mm -hmm. um, obviously the Cardinal way has changed. Now the game has changed dramatically. Um, I hope that it returns somewhat to, uh, the way it was maybe a mix of the two, you know, where you're trying to hit home runs, but you're also testing the defense, putting the ball in, uh, in play, stealing bases, hitting and running. God forbid we bunt once in a while. Um, so it's it just, uh, that's what I, that's what I brought, what I have learned from people like Whitey Herzog. Yeah. I used to love those, uh, Cardinals teams of the early to, that's right. When I first started getting into baseball with Vince Coleman and Willie McGee and, you know, those guys stealing bases, that was fun to watch. Um, we talked last week and you had said, uh, you were kind of saying, you know, we've got to go through the formal process to, uh, schedule this podcast because, you know, you don't want to get in any trouble here before your last year. Other times you see people who are retiring that say, you know, I'm going to say whatever I want. You know, what can they possibly do to me now? How do you think you'll uh, approach your final say? It sounded like you said it might have been a mistake for the Ivy League to uh, cancel last season. Do you think you'll be – is there anything that you'll change about your approach? Um, I have so much respect for Yale, so much respect for our president who has been incredibly supportive of athletics. His name's Peter Salovey. We're, I mean, I, I can say we're friends. He's a terrific, terrific guy. And as I said, um, I think every coach in the league obviously was disappointed that we didn't get to play. Um, obviously, the kids were. I was, I mean, I've had my day. I've coached a long time. 
Uh, I was more disappointed for the kids. Um, but, you know, like I said, I like to look, I like to look forward. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not ripping the presidents at all. Like I said, I, I really believe they thought they were doing and still do um, think that they did what was right. And um, so that is what it is. And, and I'm just looking forward to, uh, I mean, our, our athletic department, our president at Yale have been incredibly supportive. Our AD was disappointed that we didn't get to play. Um, I mean, cause that's what she does. I mean, she's an athletic director. So uh, it's, it was just disappointment. It, it, you know, it never boiled over into anger for me. Just, just disappointment. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned, uh, I know, so you're a Pittsburgh guy uh, and you played at a Juco in college. And then, like you said, you played professionally. Uh, so it's not the traditional background, I guess, to end up as a coach at an Ivy League school. Um, how did you end up at Yale? And then did you ever feel like a, a fish out of water when you first got there? Well, I'm smarter than any of my players. So uh, I never, <laughs> uh, I, I, well, I didn't think you'd buy that. Anyway, uh, so I never really, they want to be treated like baseball players. They don't want to be treated like, you know, none of them wear pocket protectors or anything like that. Our guys, the whole league, which has gotten better and better every year, as you know, um, you know, they want to be treated like baseball players. And as I said, I think uh, to you uh, a few days ago in 2016, a Dartmouth guy started the seventh game of the world series on the mound, Kyle Hendricks. Um, And even though he, you know, even though he lost his last game to Yale three to nothing here at Yale field, um, which I've reminded him uh, of uh, through his agent. Uh, I mean, he's been, I'm really proud of him. I'm so proud of him that, and proud of, you know, all these Ivy guys that have made it to the big leagues, including my own Craig Breslow, um, who has made his mark uh, on the game and will continue to, because there's no question he's going to be a, a, a general manager. Um, I, uh, you're right. It's not the typical way to do it. It's usually, you know, you're an assistant somewhere or whatever. Well, I, uh, after my playing career, uh, I became the coach at that JC um, in, at which I played. Um, and I used to do a clinic every year in Pittsburgh. And one year um, they included softball within this clinic and the Yale softball coach showed up at the clinic. Well, she didn't know anybody and me being the nice guy that I am, um, I befriended her and we started talking and she said, you know, the Yale baseball job is open uh, and, and said to me, if you know anybody that might be interested, um, you know, please let me know because um, she was going to be on the committee. And I said, well, tell me something about it. And she started to tell me all about it. And I said, well, heck, I'm interested. And she said, that's awesome. I'm going to tell the people when I get back um, and, you know, expect something in the mail. And, and, you know, we've all heard that before. And I was living in St. Petersburg at the time. And I get back and like a day later, um, she sent me a nice note with uh, uh, a way to apply for the job. Like 140 people applied. Somehow I got an interview and uh, um, was able to get the job. That was a, boy, that seems like a lifetime ago. Um, but it was, it was 30 years ago that that happened. Um, and I'm just, uh, I mean, it was, it was a life-changing event for me. Uh, to be able to come here. I've had a chance to leave here a couple times, other schools, pro ball. Then I look in that locker room and the kids that I get to work with, and I, and I don't want to, uh, you know, overdo this, but they're, they're the best. They're the best. I mean, it's not like I have to worry about if they're going to stay eligible. It's not like I have to worry about if they're going to get in all kind of trouble. 
and I'm not saying they've never gotten in any trouble. They're 18 to 22 year olds, but um, for the most part, they're just, they're the best kids in the world. And, and I've been, uh, they say they've been fortunate to play for me. I just turn it right back on them. And I say, I've been very fortunate to be your coach. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. We offer the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all your baseball and softball needs with our player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your event's college resources and customer attention in one place every season. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Now, it sounded like when we were talking earlier about the way the game's changed and, you know, there's not as much uh, base stealing, bunting, you know, it's, it seems like it's kind of moved towards launch angle and uh, some of those types of things. What are some of the trends that you think uh, need to change, you know, whether it be specialization in baseball year round or, you know, the transfer portal or anything like that that you'd like to see change? Uh, I, I have a, a couple pet peeves um, uh, with with the product that is the big leagues right now um, in that hitters don't seem to make many adjustments. If Nolan, Nolan Ryan had 5,714 strikeouts or 500,900, anyway, it had double that pitching today because, you know, even in, in my day, you know, if a guy was the four hitter and he got two strikes on him, he shortened up and tried to go to right field. And you just don't see that anymore because the metrics say that maybe three K's and a two run Homer, that's a good day. Um, which it's, it's just different for me. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. We use metrics here. I've been dragged kicking and screaming into this era by, you know, younger assistants. Um, I just wish hitters would make more adjustments to make more contact because there's just not enough contact. And as far as pitchers go, I don't think we're breeding pitchers anymore. I think we're breeding throwers. We are so velocity obsessed. Um, you know, Jim Cott is one of my mentors, one of my dearest friends, just got named to the Hall of Fame. Um, I cried when he was named to the Hall of Fame because it's been such a long time coming. Um, and he was talking to me about, I won't say which organization, but a couple guys from an organization saw him in the hotel room and were talking to him. And they were bragging about their most recent couple draft picks. And they said, man, these guys are like 98 to 102. 
And all they talked about was velocity. And Kitty said to me, they never once said anything about whether the guy could pitch or not. Um, and, and I think, I think we get velocity obsessed and, uh, you know, velocity at the big league level, uh, you know, for a starter is really overrated because those guys, they can hit hundred miles an hour for a reliever. I get it. You come in and you just blow 102 for an inning and then you're out. I get that. Um, but I don't know. Um, again, I'm old school, you know, Bob Gibson was quoted, God rest his soul. He was quoted in the year he had when he had a 1.12 ERA, the greatest year in the history of pitching. He changed the game. He, they moved the mound from 16 inches to 10 inches because of him. He had 13 shutouts. He had 25 complete games. Um, and somebody asked him about closers and stuff. And he said, hell, I was my own closer. Um, and Kitty, we talked pitching a lot sometimes. And he was telling me when he, and he had a ton of complete games too. And he said, you know, right now, the third time through the lineup is this big thing where you got to change pitchers because it's the third time through the lineup. Well, Kitty said, that's when you learn how to pitch is the third time through the lineup. That's, that was his, you know, that was his take on that. Now he didn't have Chapman or, you know, Jordan Hicks or, or whoever sitting behind him and maybe he would have changed his mind. I'll be honest with you. I had Bruce Suter. I was never sorry that Whitey took me out and bought Bruce in. I mean, I wasn't going to sit there and argue with him and say, no, no, leave me in. I, I saw number 42 warming up down there. Cha-ching, that's a win. So, you know, I'd walk off the mound happily. But, um, you know, you know, with openers and things like that, the Rays, uh, and I'm going to be living right where, uh, like 10 minutes from their stadium, the job that they've done with their payroll is absolutely amazing to me. Um, I mean, their whole team doesn't make as much as Mike Trout does in one year. And what they've done is amazing. So how can you argue with that? How can you, you know, they do openers and, um, I, and they use their bullpen so well. I was one of those guys that complained, you know, and said, what is he doing when he took out, um, uh, was it the Snell? I think his name's Snell kid from the Blake sixth Snell. game of the world. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, the guy's dealing, but <laughs> the metrics said that the guys in the bullpen were better matchups. And I'm like, geez. And John Smoltz, who I like listening to is going, sometimes you have to trust your eyes. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you have to trust your, <laughs> but then you, then you go on the other end. How did they get there? How did they win over a hundred games and how did they make it to the world series by doing exactly what he did in that spot? So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's hard to argue with his success. Um, if I was Snell and he took me out, I'd have been mad, but, um, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about this if those relievers would have come in and, and shut the door, they just didn't. Um, and that just happened. So, um, the game has changed a lot. Uh, I try, you know, I have certain rules with my team about appearance. They can't have facial hair. They can't have long hair, no earrings, no hat backwards, that kind of thing. I just view that as respect for the game. Um, the guy who succeeds me may not care about any of that. Um, and that's fine. It doesn't mean I'm right and he's wrong. Um, but I, I, I'm old school without question, but we have a hit tracks machine. We have a rap soto machine. Um, you know, we get involved scouting reports from, uh, you know, from synergy and other places. And please don't tell anybody that I ever played with. I call pitches. Um, if Bruce Suter or Jim Cott found out that I call pitches, they'd disown me. Um, <laughs> And I didn't do it for the longest time 
Um, but now I kind of enjoy doing it, uh, and my pitchers actually like it. So, and it's I think it's helped our success. So, I've made some changes uh, <laughs> over the years, um, but uh, again, I think. What Major League Baseball is worried about right now is not enough balls are put in play and that the game has become, quote, unquote, boring. Um, you know, as a former pitcher, you know, in, in Bull Durham, Kevin Costner said strikeouts are fascist. Um, maybe they are, but I, I enjoyed every one of my strikeouts. Um, but uh, so I, I don't know. Do you do you think the game's going to start to change back? What You know, you talked about the 80s Cardinals team. The MLB Network did a a documentary on the 80s Cardinals because we went to the World Series in 82, 85, and 87 um, and and basically did it with speed and defense. Right. Um, and uh, that's kind of what I've brought here. I think in the last five years, we've had the best record in the Ivy League, and I also think we've, we've led the league in fielding and hitting – or uh, fielding and ERA uh, all five years. And so it's still important. If you can pitch it and catch it, you're going to be in every game. Right. Um, you know, hitting comes and goes, but, you know, speed is the only characteristic that works on both sides of the ball. Um, so, you know, I have one of the things we've done here, we recruit shortstop. I probably have nine high school shortstops on this team, nine, um, because they can play anywhere uh, other than pitcher and catcher. You could put them anywhere and they'd be fine. Um, so that's something that Tucker – uh, Frawley, who's now with the Twins, he's in charge of all their defense now in the whole organization. Um, that, that's something that he, you know, convinced me of doing. Let's just recruit shortstops because you can stick them in center field. You can stick them in left field, you know. Um, they can run. They're the most athletic. So that's what we do. Yeah. It's like the Little League baseball model. Every all-star team is like eight shortstops and five pitchers. But uh... Exactly. Yeah, I want to ask you about, so you talked about complete games and uh, things that would never happen today. I was reading about the highlight of your career. It was just a little bit before my time, but it was um, 1982 World Series, Game 6, uh, and this was your rookie season. And the game lasted, I, I can't it was like five hours and 40 minutes because there were multiple rain delays, and you pitched a complete game in that game. And I'm reading it like this would never happen today, especially for a rookie. Two rain delays. You stayed in the game. Um, how did that opportunity in such come about in such a big spot during your rookie year? Well, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked about this. And um, in that documentary, as a matter of fact, John Goodman, the actor, is the guy who narrates it. And the first, uh, I, there were two rain delays. It was the sixth game of the World Series. We were down three games to two. Um, the first rain delay was in the, between the fifth and the sixth inning, and it was a half hour, okay? No big deal. Um, I went out, I, I, I was lucky enough to pitch a scoreless inning. And then between the sixth and the seventh, the next rain delay was two hours and 19 minutes, okay? Um, so clearly, nobody would ever bring anybody back then. Um, and, uh, and Goodman, when he talks about it on the, uh, on the video, uh, or on the documentary says, but it was a different time and stupor came back on them. And so I, I wanted to finish the game for a number of reasons, personal reasons. Absolutely. We had a big lead. Um, and, and I wanted to have a complete game in the world series. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but I also wanted to save the bullpen for the seventh game. If I could let have, so we'd have a totally fresh bullpen, uh, for the seventh game. I mean, we had, we had 13 runs. I still say, I still swear to people that um, my hitters 
had a meeting before the game and said, you see who's pitching for us tonight? <laughs> we need to score a bunch of runs tonight. So, um, so they scored me 13. Um, I messed up the shutout uh, with a wild pitch in the ninth. But, um, and some people in St. Louis for 30 years have said that that game shortened my career. Um, and maybe it did. But ask me, if, you know, and I've been asked this, ask me if I'd do it again. Um, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, there are Hall of Famers um, and teammates who have respect for me and are grateful for what I did um, in that game. Uh, and that means more to me than anything you can possibly imagine. When Keith Hernandez or Bruce Suter or Jim Cott thanks you for your part in them getting a ring. I mean, it's just I'm a small, small part of Cardinal baseball history um, but, uh, I'm, I'm proud of that small, small part and, uh, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. What a career highlight. I mean, no, nobody has that highlight where they, and I should have said Don Sutton was on the mound for the other team. So it's, it's just he, a remarkable he, highlight. He was. And, and I, I, I just tell you a short story about Don Sutton. We obviously, we won the game the next day, six to three. And so we're in the clubhouse screaming and yelling and pouring champagne over each other, just like you see on every championship team. Don Sutton made his way into our clubhouse and he made his way to me. Um, now he had had a bad game, obviously. Um, and I had won the game. He came over and shook my hand and pointed around the room and said, this doesn't happen without you. And then he left. Uh, one of the classiest things that I've ever witnessed that I've ever been a part of. Uh, and it's one of my best memories ever um, for a hall of famer, which he ended up being um, to come in and say this, this nobody rookie um, and tell him that, you know, you're a big part of why these guys are celebrating. So that, that was a, that was a great moment for me. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. So like when I was reading of kind of your bio for your playing career, it does read like, you know, you've play, pitched this five and a half hour game through multiple rain delays, game six, just incredible. And then injuries kind of followed in the next couple of years and you were out of baseball a few years later. Um, do, you, do you think that's what happened? It, it just you ta- overtaxed your arm? I, I don't know. Um, I've had a full shoulder replacement now, um, but that could be because of thousands and thousands and thousands of BP pitches. Mm-hmm. Um my young assistants don't let me throw BP now, but um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't even like to think about that because um, I believe everything happens for a reason. I wouldn't have, if I didn't come to Yale and I wouldn't have met my wife um, and, you know, she, she was the field hockey coach here for uh, 25 years. She just stepped down to become um, the executive director of the foundation for us field hockey. She played for her country for nine years um, you know, I have two regrets in my career. One is that I never had USA across my chest. And the other is that my father never got to see me pitch in the big leagues. He passed away before I, before I made it to the big leagues, but those are the two regrets I have. So I'm envious of my wife. She, she played in three wor- uh, world cups, um, was a great player. She's in the uh, U S field hockey hall of fame. I'm not holding my breath that I'm going to be in Cooperstown anytime soon. Um, but, uh, you know, so, uh, Things happen for a reason. And, and like I said before, I, I'd do it again in a heartbeat, um, knowing what I know now. Um, I, I would absolutely do it again. I was 12 and 11 the next year in 83 
um, like with a 3-6 ADRA, which these days would be a big deal. I had six complete games that year, okay? And people look at that, and I, and I didn't even think anything of it. I, mean, I think two of them were losses, so there were only eight innings, and then the other four were wins. But their team was there any team with six complete games last year? I mean, that's another way. Uh, and I was just your average, your average pitcher in the big leagues, but uh, I didn't think anything of uh, of uh, those six complete games. And I have one more story for you about that particular year. Um, you know, everybody thinks that you know pitching in the World Series, you're down three to two. If you guys lose, you go home. The Brewers are champions. Was there pressure? Yeah. Was I nervous? Absolutely. I wasn't scared, but I was as nervous as I've ever been. But the next year, I started the final game of the season for the Cardinals, and my record was 11 and 11. Okay. That was my record. That's pressure because the difference between 12 and 11 and 11 and 12, when you look back on a season, forget about what it would have meant money wise um, or anything like that, but I mean, I felt a lot of pressure in that game. I wanted, I mean, I didn't want to be 11 and 12. And so I ended up 12 and 11 and it just looks a whole lot better than 11 and 12. Yeah. looks better on the back of a baseball card. That's for sure. Um, well, coach, thank you so much. Uh, I know, uh, yeah, you're going to be living the life in Florida. You just sit, uh, what's the plan? You're going to be sitting on the beach most of the time or what do you have planned? Everybody says that. Um, no, I, I mean, I've been asked uh, by the people of Showball, um, which is a big uh, uh, showcase thing. I've become really good friends with John Novak, who runs that. He's asked me to be a part of things uh, moving forward, and I've agreed. Um, there's also a camp I do in California, Quakes Baseball Camp. Um, these are three of my dearest friends in life. They've asked me to do the same thing, to be part of it, maybe talk about recruiting, um, and things like that, because recruiting, especially high academic kids can get really complicated and I can simplify it for parents and, uh, uh, and, uh, players. So I'm, I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm a, like a workout freak, so I'll, I'll work out every day. Um, and you know, travel some to these showcases and, and try and help wherever I can. And, um, and, that that's the plan right now. Who knows? I mean, if the Yankees call and want me to be their manager, I'd, prob- <laughs> I'd probably say yes. I prefer the Cardinals, but you know, I'd probably say yes. So if you hear of anything, um, you know, I'd rather it be down south. So uh, because I'm, I never want to shovel another snowflake in my life. Okay, <laughs> um, and and I love New England. Honestly, there's not a prettier place on earth than Connecticut in the fall. I mean, it's gorgeous. Um, and I've loved my time here. And as I told you guys off, off camera, um, really appreciate what you guys do. You guys don't mail it in. You do a great job on getting kids and teens, um, publicity that they deserve because there's a lot of good players in the new England area. Um, I think our league is the most underrated league in the country. And we also have, in my opinion, some of the best coaches uh, in our league, Brett Beretti, um, Bob Whalen, these guys are great coaches, Bill Decker. I mean, basically everybody in our league are good baseball guys. Um, we're friends. I'm going to miss them. Um, I don't know if they're going to miss me, but, uh, it's just been a, it's just been a real pleasure. And I just, I know all other coaches in new England feel the same way about the new England baseball journal. So I just want to give you guys kudos 
for the job that you do because it's amazing. It's thorough. Uh, it's clear that you're doing your research um, and, and it's much appreciated. Trust me. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, thanks so much for your time and good luck to you in your, in your final season. I'll, I will keep an eye out for you if I see any, uh, managerial jobs in the, in the <laughs> South, but, um, thanks so much and good luck to you in your retirement. It's, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to John Stuper for joining the pod. It was great to hear his sense of humor and the stories of his playing days with the St. Louis Cardinals. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. Be sure to subscribe so you can get an alert every time a new pod goes live. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. Click the subscribe tab to get the winter edition mailed to your home or office. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast. (laughs) 